I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets, sports, and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This Is The Jet Life, where I'm excited to announce today I'm joined by New York Jets statistical guru, Michael Nania, probably familiar with him through Cool Your Jets podcast, Jets Insider, work on gangrenation.com, and now his brand new premium content website on the New York Jets, Jets X Factor. Michael, thank you for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm really excited to be on here. There, there's a lot going on the past few days, um, especially for this point in the offseason. The offseason that we're having right now with no practices or anything, but uh, a lot to talk about with this team right now, a lot of rumors circling around. But uh, as you said, Jets X Factor is pretty much uh, where I'm doing most of my writing right now. I've been working on that with Robbie Sabo, new premium site that we launched. Uh, if you want to subscribe to that, you can get your first month free. We're also donating a portion of all subscriptions to United Way New York City. So uh, definitely check it out when you get a chance. Uh, it, it's really the best place to go for Jets content. We got all my stats stuff, just so many different ways to take that in. Sam Darnold grades, uh, Nania's numbers page. I had just all my stats in the same place, just constant analytical stuff. I've done a Quinn and Williams pass rush breakdown, um, doing breakdowns of ranking every single position group in the league, seeing where the Jets stack up. Uh, Robbie Sabo's film, Joe Blewett's film breakdown. So it's really the best place to go. And uh, if you want to try it out right now, we are giving out uh, a free first month and also donating portion of the subscription. So I'm really excited about that, really enjoying uh, what we've been doing with the site. So, um, but yeah, really excited to be on here and talk about uh, uh, an eventful time right now for the Jets with some of the rumors going around. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I can't, I can't recommend your site enough because it's very cool. I love your whole initiative with the thing, kind of trying to get good content for the Jets. A lot of people have been doing it in a lazy way for a long time. And yeah. you're kind of like putting in the effort, putting in the time, getting the stuff right. And, you know, it's a premium content site, but it's kind of taken it to the new, the next level for the Jets. And it's just a great place to get information. So thank you for doing that and being such a good Jets fan. Yeah, definitely. And that's definitely the goal because, uh, like you said, and not to really throw anyone under the bus or anything, but like, you know, sometimes they're just, you know, are things that don't really get covered as much as they should. Like for me, for example, like I've done reports already on Jet X Fact or Jets X Factor, breaking down blockers on the special teams, who's opening up holes in the punt return and kick return game. And in coverage, uh, we're also going to have Thomas Hennessy on Cool Your Jets, uh, the long, the godly long snapper uh, <laughs> coming on Cool Your Jets soon. So uh, just kind of giving respect parts of the game that don't always get it. Joe Blue, it's been doing great film breakdowns of the draft picks. You always hear how many rushing yards they had, how many games they played, but we're really getting into the film uh, and, and just giving a lot of uh, just recognition and analysis to points of the game that don't get it enough. So uh, it's definitely been a lot of fun to do and just really kind of give the coverage that all these players and just, you know, facets of the team deserve. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's where you can check his stuff out. And of course, through gangrene nation as well, where this podcast is run through and everything. But uh, today on this podcast, got a few different areas, things that we want to talk about. We've got some new stuff. 
some news around the Jets. Kind of wanted to talk about the schedule, which came out this week or last week. Um, do some overall thoughts on the draft, kind of see where you're at on that whole thing, and then talk about some stuff moving forward, what we can be looking at as New York Jets fans. So we will begin with the news segment, and I think the first place to start would be with the Frank Gore signing, because I've not done a podcast since he was brought in. And the contract details actually came out today that he's signing a it's a $1.05 million contract with $200,000 guaranteed, so it's a lot smaller than probably most people imagined it would be. And, you know, for me, bringing in a guy like Frank Gore, Number one, it's very cool because he's a Hall of Famer. We've seen what he can do. I mean, after bringing in guys like LaDainian Tomlinson, Tony Richardson, we're now bringing in Frank Gore, which is kind of cool for the New York Jets to to be on this path to, you know, getting the, even if it's the end of the career, still getting them when they've got some left in the tank. But Frank Gore, you know, he's not, uh, he's not the youngest guy in the league. I think he's coming up on 37 when this year is played. But I think he's got a lot to bring to the locker room. I think he's got some some stuff to do on the field as well. What do you think about that addition, Michael? Yeah, I agree with what you said. I think it has a lot more to do with uh, what's what he's going to bring off the field and in the locker room than on the field. Like you said, he's way up there, one of the oldest. Uh, def- he is the oldest running back in the league, I believe. But And also, he played with Adam Gase in 2018. So right. uh, especially this offseason where you're not going to have as much practice time uh, as, as any team is used to it, if they have any practice time, you know, uh, in training camp or until – we really have no idea how much they're going to get. So with all those question marks, having a guy who is you know, not only a very seasoned veteran, uh, but has experience with Adam Gase, that'll be very helpful. And he's also got a good track record going uh, as a leader. He played with Marlon Mack. He played with Kenyon Drake in Miami. So he's had a few different guys, Devin Singletary last year with Buffalo. So there have been a few different you know, young running backs that have actually gone on to be successful after playing with him. So he does have a track record there. Uh, but I think, like you said, experience and just being able to, especially in this off season, that'll help out. And, and, you know, I was, what I was going to be getting to is that, you know, the Jets did just draft the Michael Pirine. So hopefully he can help, you know, add Pirine as the next in that list of running backs that he has successfully mentored. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about it, like there's a lot of people that are down on this for whatever reason, when you think about Le'Veon Bell's going to be getting the lion's share of the carries, we would imagine, Michael Pirine's going to be mixing in as that younger back who's got fresh legs. And then Frank Gore, I mean, the position that he's taking over for, you're really talking about in the last few years, the Eli Maguire, a Trenton Cannon. On the roster right now, you're talking about a Josh Adams or a Kenneth Dixon replacement. It's not like we're cutting somebody that we really had a lot of value in, somebody that was maybe going to get 60 carries on the year or so. And Frank Gore, sure, Adam Gase may be a big fan of him, may give him a little bit more carries than we originally anticipated. But at the end of the day, it's not make or break in terms of the roster makeup and he's going to bring stuff to the culture of the team that I think is, is something that you don't want to pass up on especially with the the rebuild they have going on and how many young players they've got yeah uh-huh. and I, I I do understand the disappointment from the standpoint that we came into the offseason we kind of wanted the Jets to find that home run hitting running back uh, to put behind Le'Veon Bell because for all the things Bell does well the one thing that he does not bring to the table is that long speed that uh, like I said, the ability to hit home runs, to break off an eight, a couple of 80 yarders a season, that's not something he does bring to the table. So we didn't get that in the draft because P. Ryan is a good all-around prospect, but uh, the home run hitting game is not really a strength of his. And also, that's definitely not something you're getting with Gore either as he approaches 40 years old in a couple of years. But so I think from that standpoint, that's definitely where some of the disappointment comes from. But at the same time, you, it's not something you necessarily – you know, it would be nice to have. And, you know, the Jets do have Trent Cannon, who for all of his flaws as an all around player does have that home, have that speed to become that potentially 
but you know, I think like you said, it's just not something worth getting too hung up over. He brings a lot uh, off the field in the locker room, things like that. Uh, and he, he did play really well with Gase in 2018. Didn't play all too well with the bills this year in terms of broken tackles, yards after contact, things like that. But in 2018, he actually did was really efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, did break a lot of tackles, gain a lot of yards after contact with the dolphins. And he also in pass protection, uh, is, has a lot of experience there, has throughout his career been used quite a bit in pass protection and has done a good job uh, limiting pressures in that role. So there are uh, quite a few things to like about this signing. And yeah, it's a little bit disappointing. They couldn't get uh, some speed, some electricity behind Bell and alongside P. Ryan. But there is a lot to like about Gore as you're probably running back three, maybe running back two uh, behind Bell. And another thing, as you said, Bell is still going to carry the load. Maybe Gore gets a little bit more involved than we're expecting right now but it's not like he's here to threaten bell's job he's just rb2 hopefully rb3 p ryan uh performs as well as we hope he does so you know there's a lot to like about it even if he's not the uh, explosive back that we hope they would be getting yeah absolutely and then we've got a couple free agent rumors circling circling around the jets right now with some potential free agent ads i know we had some maybe faulty news breaking today, almost breaking, where people thought that Logan Ryan was going to be joining the New York Jets, and we kind of were already jumping the gun on where he's going to fit into the team. It still is a possibility that the Jets sign him, but at this point, it, nothing has been made official, at least that I know of. Um, there's also some, not rumors, but you know, the Jets potentially have interest in guys like Larry Warford, the guard from the Saints. They've got interest in a guy like Jason Peters, perhaps, from the Eagles, it's been reported. And just kind of want to get your thoughts on on those three guys, maybe rank them on where you would want them for the New York Jets and and what you think they could bring to the team. Yeah, well, Logan Ryan, I mean, it was it, it was exciting to see the news uh, this morning from that Manish report, but it doesn't seem like it's a done deal quite yet. Seems, you know, possible or, you know, maybe even likely that they'll sign him. But um, ho- hopefully that does go through because that'd be a huge get for them. And this cornerback group was uh, it really came on towards the second half of last season with uh, Millette and Bless Austin stepping up. But they did play a lot of bad quarterbacks. Bless Austin did. Uh, he did get benched towards the end of the, uh, over, over the last game and a half after giving up that touchdown against Pittsburgh. So those guys have potential, especially Bless Austin, but uh, there's not a sure thing there. But they've gone out and added a lot of competition there. You have Pierre Desir, who played really well in 2018 until he's banged up this past season. Quincy Wilson was a second-round pick a couple of years ago, even though he struggled. So you add Logan Ryan in there, and you know all of a sudden – and also they drafted Bryce Hall as well, a guy who could have been – uh, a first round pick if he was healthy, didn't get injured this past season. So they have a lot of depth there. And if you throw in now Logan Ryan to add to that competition, and also they had, they resigned Brian Poole as well, who was maybe the best slot corner in the league this year from a statistical standpoint. So you add Logan Ryan, a guy who can play inside, play outside, mostly played inside for the Titans, but when he's with New England, he's mostly an outside guy, but uh, a veteran who is an- another great locker room presence, a guy who is uh, has received a lot of praise for that. And that's a theme with a lot of Joe Douglas pickups this off season. But you add Brian, a guy who has that versatility. He's a big time playmaker. He was near the top of the league as a pass rusher in terms of pressures and sacks forced four fumbles last season, third and pass deflections. Uh, even in the run game, he was tied for the league uh, tied for the lead among cornerbacks and run stops. So the guy's a playmaker. He's all over the place and that makes him a perfect fit. Uh, with Greg Williams, who loves to blitz his defensive backs and use them in the box. So he would be a tremendous fit with Greg Williams and add just even more depth and competition and versatility at a cornerback position that is really stacked uh, with with a lot of guys who are going to be competing for starting spots now. So 
Uh, if they could get Logan Ryan, that would be great. Hopefully it does go through. You definitely add some some more security to this group. because so I feel like he would be penciled in as a starter. And then you could have everyone else battle it out for that second, third spot uh, and so forth. But he would be great uh, on the offensive line. Warford makes Warford makes more sense than Peters from the standpoint that, you know, he's a lot younger. I believe I believe nine years younger. I think Warford's 29. Peters 38. So obviously Warford's still in his prime. He could come right in. Uh, and play that right guard spot opposite Alex Lewis and Greg Van Roden would compete for that left guard spot because both of those two guys only played left guard, Warford only right guard. But um, Warford did decline a little bit this past season in terms of pressures allowed, particularly when they didn't have Drew Brees out there. He really struggled with Bridgewater, so that's not a good sign because Brees got the ball out lightning quick. I think the fastest release, he was tied for the fastest release in the league, so that's obviously going to, Put your pressure numbers down when Bridgewater is out there. Uh, his t- his time to release was a lot higher, and that's when Warford struggles. So that is a, wor- a worrying sign. But he still he was still a Pro Bowler the past three seasons and has put up really good uh, grades and numbers all around throughout his entire career. So he'd be an instant upgrade. He would be great to get. And Jason Peters, he's really interesting because now that the Jets have Mackay Becton, um, then you have the question of who plays left, who plays right, because Peters is a left tackle. Becton played left. In college, although Becton did play right in college as well, he really hit his stride on the left side. So that'd be an interesting question. But at the same time, Jason Peters is still really, really good. Even as he approaches 40, he uh, had another elite season last season. And you could definitely play him as a stopgap on either side for one year uh, while the Jets kind of look for that long term answer tackle. So uh, if I were to rank those three guys, I would put Warford number one just because of the positional importance. Of uh, fixing that offensive line, Logan Ryan number two. Ryan's probably a better, probably better player than Warford. It's close between them, but because of the positional value, Warford first. But I do hope that they get Logan Ryan. And uh, in terms of Peters, it'd be interesting to see what happens, uh, how they would use him and Becton if they did sign Jason Peters. But he does make sense because it's all about protecting Darnold. Peters is still really good. He could hold the fort down for a year. Would be great to have along alongside Makai Becton his rookie year uh, and it gives them some time to find a future starter at the tackle position give Doga a little more time to develop Fant could be a backup swing tackle be that extra offensive lineman role uh, that he played in Seattle so all three of those guys would be excellent additions and hope hopefully the Ryan signing does actually uh, come to fruition yeah I'm definitely with you on all that I think that uh, Logan Ryan would maybe be my first choice in it because I think that he would add a lot to that Greg Williams defense I think that the way that the Jets run their zones, I mean, you've got guys like Arthur Mollette and LaShawn Austin, and no disrespect to those guys, but they're not the most, you know, seasoned veterans in the league. And to have them covering a zone, say they're covering a 10-yard zone, you bring in a guy like Logan Ryan, maybe he can cover a 12, 13-yard zone, just something like that, that little boost that he would give to Greg Williams' defense, then the ability to go up and blitz because this Jets team, we don't have a designated pass rusher. We don't have one guy that's going to be getting there, getting 15, 20 sacks this year. It's just not going to happen. And having like a a split between those guys, you know, four out of here, three out of here, some way to get to 40 sacks basically is what they're going to look for. I think he'd add a lot there, um, probably a one-year deal, so it wouldn't be anything that would, you know, be that big of a deal in terms of uh, financial stuff moving forward. Larry Warford, I think he would be an instant upgrade over Brian Winter, so I'd be I'd be all for that, hopefully a longer deal so we can get this offensive line shirt up for the future. And then you're absolutely right with Jason Peters. I think that he's he's interesting because it takes the pressure off of everybody because we don't have a single tackle on this team that's definitely going to come in week one and play well. Jason right. Peters could be that guy right now. Takes the pressure off of everybody. Adoga, Fant, Becton. Now you let them battle it out. 
in what worst case scenario, you've got four tackles. The Jets probably played four or five last year throughout the season. I mean, you don't really want to be giving up weeks. We played the Cowboys when they didn't have their tackles. And, you know, it makes a big difference. You don't want to be giving up any right, weeks, yeah. any games without a tackle. You lose Becton for a week or two. And you're like, well, I guess we have to play a Dogar fan, even though they're not ready. You know, I don't want that situation. So if you're going to do a one-year deal for Peters to let everyone grow, take the pressure off, I think that would be cool as well. We're going to keep monitoring that stuff. Um, hopefully the news breaks about Logan Ryan soon, and then we'll see if the Jets have anything else up their sleeve. But that's kind of what's going on with the news of the New York Jets. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And then the next thing is going to be the schedule. Because the schedule came out last week, and we already knew the teams the Jets were going to play. It goes on a rotation between the NFC division that we play, the AFC division that we play, and then the two other teams. So we basically knew everything that was going to happen. We just didn't know the order, the primetime games and whatnot. And it came out, and of course, everybody's freaking out about strength of schedule because, yes, the Jets do have one of the more difficult schedules in the league if you're going by last year's records. But when it's all said and done, when I look at this thing, I don't think, you know, there's a few teams in this schedule that we're looking at, the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm looking at the Seattle Seahawks, maybe even the 49ers that are like, those are going to be near impossible to win for this Jets team. But everybody else on there, I think there's question marks around all these teams. And yeah, it's possible that some of them are going to be really good, but it's possible that things break the right way for the Jets this year. And they're one of those better teams. And I think that it's it's not as bad as it looks. Strength of schedule is definitely an overrated stat as every single year, the teams are totally different than they were the year before. But what kind of stands out to you on the schedule, Michael, in terms of something that's interesting, something you think is challenging, or, or just the overall makeup of the schedule? Yeah, I think in terms of strength of schedule, as you mentioned, it when you're looking back at the previous season's records to judge the strength of uh, the schedule the next season, uh, it, it never really has any correlation. You look at any time, you just look at back at the past and uh, lists of you know, the league ranked in order of the strength of schedule based on the next season, based on the last or the next season, based on the last season. Uh, there are teams who, you know, preseason, it seems like they have the hardest schedule. It turns out to be really easy. The Jets back in 2015 were a great example. That schedule looked really difficult and turned out to be one of the easiest, uh, really one of the easiest the Jets have ever had. Uh, so there's not a lot of correlation there. But at the same time, there are some tough, some tough challenges on the schedule that will most likely be pretty hard that going into Arrowhead to play the Chiefs is a near lock to be a very difficult game to win going to Seattle to play the Seahawks that's a team that has been a playoff team every single year is always really hard to beat on the road so really the road trips are what make this tough playing both both West divisions you have to go to Kansas City LA twice and Seattle that's going to be tough and you know we don't know how good the Rams and Chargers will be I think the Chargers could be pretty good I feel like the Rams could be headed for a down year, kind of a downturn next few years. But uh, the travel is what's difficult having to go to those four places. It's always tough uh, to go through, you know, multiple time zones across the country. But at the same time, the Jets are playing those teams at home. You have the 49ers, the Cardinals, the Broncos, and the Raiders all coming over to MetLife to play the Jets. So it, they kind of cancel out, cancel each other out in that way. But it, if you're a good team, you should be able 
to overcome that. If you're not a good team, then you're probably going to, you know, lose all of those road games and maybe split those home games. But uh, what stood out to me first when I saw the schedule was that back to back with the Dolphins. That is, uh, I've really, I don't, I've never seen that on schedule before. I'm still not completely sure if it has happened before, but back to back games against the same team is. Uh, re- really strange to me. I've never seen it. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because that is, it's going to be a crucial juncture of the season for these two teams that are hoping to be in the wild card chase or maybe uh, in this more wide open AFC East with Tom Brady now in Tampa Bay. So, you know, if one of these two teams can sweep the other in that two game set there, it could be a huge turning point in the middle of the season. But uh, overall, I think really the, the travel is going to be the big X factor. Can they, get something going in those road games when they go to LA, Kansas city, Seattle, can they split those games? Uh, And then can they also take advantage of those West coast teams coming to MetLife and maybe take three out of four of those games? Or, you know, if you really want to get wild, win all four of them, but uh, the road is where it really comes into play. That's where Adam Gase has really struggled throughout his whole head coaching career. It's where Sam Darnold has not played quite as well as he has at home. And, And really just the jets overall have not played well on the road throughout this entire playoff drought that they've had seasons where they've been 500 slightly above 500 at home. Uh, I, I believe they're five and three on the road this past season. So the road is really where they, the jets have got to start playing a lot better if they're going to win. And the, the offensive line is uh, I think the most crucial, the, the position that sees the biggest difference on the road, just because of that crowd noise. But now this year, you know, maybe that crowd noise isn't going to be there. We don't know uh, if that factor is going to be involved this season but uh, if the Jets are going to you know compete for the AFCs this year compete for a wild card and this playoff drought it's got to start with winning on the road and they do have some really tough road trips on the schedule this year yeah yeah you're absolutely right it is going to be difficult for the Jets and right when you said Dolphins I mean that's the first thing to me too it was just a bizarre middle part of the season just like you're going to do Dolphins by week Dolphins it's just yeah, it's weird because you're going to play them and you're going to think about it for a whole two weeks and then you're going to play them again and then you're not going to play them for the rest of the season. And when it comes down to it, I think this division is wide open. I think that the Bills definitely yeah. have the advantage. I think the Patriots, being the Patriots, they get benefit of the doubt. I think the Dolphins made some moves. But I think that there are ways that any one of these teams could break the right way and end up being the top team. There's no one that's asserted themselves. And I, one of the weird things about this is the Jets are going to play the Bills both times in the first half of the schedule. They're going to play the Patriots both times in the second half of the schedule. I always think it's weird because they're such important games, the division games. I don't know how when they're making the schedule. I don't know if they're looking more for primetime games when they're setting it up because you actually, you know, you have to pick a couple games first. What are the most important ones? It's weird that they would do, you know, you're going to play the Bills beginning of the season. Potentially, you know how it goes. You, You have a quarterback that misses five, six, seven games or something, and you play the team twice in that same it just feels like you should be playing the Buffalo Bills, the Dolphins, and the Patriots once near the beginning half of the season, once near the second half of the season, and get a fair shake at both of them. I mean, that's just kind of how I feel about it, it's all those games being kind of close together. But uh, other than that, it's not, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how all these teams turn out. There's a few teams in here that I'm not that worried about. I think that when you look at the quarterbacks, that was the number one thing that I looked at first, is what quarterbacks we're going to be playing against. And there are a few really good ones. Russell Wilson's really good. Patrick Mahomes, maybe the best in the league. Phillip Rivers, we don't know where he's going to be at. A bunch of young guys mixed in there, and like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, Josh Allen even. But there's not a guy in there that I just think is going to go toe-to-toe with Sam Darnold. If he's on, we've seen Sam Darnold have games where he's on 
And this defense, we've seen them shut basically anybody down or at least hold them to within a range where the Jets can win. I just don't see anybody on here that really frightens me. And that's fine. You know, I'm just being a confident Jets fan, of course. We're probably going to play some of these games, and some of these teams will be amazing. And we'll lose some of the ones that I think will win. It happens every single year. But I think going in, Jets fans should be at least excited about almost every single one of these games. Yeah, I definitely agree. And the the quarterbacks, are that definitely is really important because you look at this Jets team that we just watched. They did not play a lot of good quarterbacks, and they really took advantage of that. And if, you know, Sam Darnold didn't, you know, have mono the first game, missed the next three games, they went seven and five with him. And if they could have split those first two games, they could have had a winning record this past season. But quarterback is a really important part of the schedule. You know, you look at who the Jets played over that eight game stretch, finished the season. You know, they got to be Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Derek Carr, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh or not even Josh Allen, but the uh, Matt Barkley, I believe it was. But the Bills are playing their backups. They played Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges against Pittsburgh. Uh, so they really got to take advantage of a lot of weaker quarterbacks. And for the most part, there are a lot of question marks, like you said, on the schedule. We don't know where Rivers is going to be this season. Is he going to keep declining? Is he going to kind of rejuvenate himself, find a great offensive line? There are a lot of young quarterbacks who are still up in the air. Uh, but as you said, Sam Darnold, when the Jets are protecting him and helping him out, he he goes with the flow. He does not hold the team back. That's something he's proven uh, throughout his career so far. There are still a lot of things he can improve at, but you'll get games like the Raiders game, like the Giants game uh, this past season, the Cowboys game, games where the offensive line has actually played decently uh, and the, the receivers have played well, caught passes thrown their way, uh, getting open as well. Uh, Arnold plays really well in those games. He mo- better than most quarterbacks doesn't hold the team back and kind of takes advantage of his supporting cast playing really well. So if the offensive line can be, you know, better, they're not exactly where they need to be long-term yet still have holes uh, at guard. You know, one of the tackle spots opposite Becton uh, really McGovern and Becton are the only long-term pieces, but uh, hopefully McGovern can be a huge upgrade. Uh, hopefully Greg Van Roten can be at least a slight upgrade over winters. And Becton, you know, we'll see if he can come straight in and make an impact. But if the offensive line can play better, we'll see if the receivers do. Uh, but for Sam Darnold, it's definitely important for him to just kind of uh, continue doing what he's doing, taking advantage of when his teammates play well, but also taking that leap to kind of uh, lift up the team in games where the team doesn't play so well in games like the New England game last year. Can he just not, you know, completely sink the team if everything else isn't going well? Just don't turn the ball over, stay stay cool and collected and just give the team a chance games like that kind of turn his bad games into okay games his okay games into good games uh, then just continue taking advantage when the team does play well so but in terms of the schedule it definitely is it's too hard other than the travel it's too hard to judge the the quality of it until the season really starts because you never really know how teams are going to turn out like even the dolphins jets you know even when they played the dolphins they didn't look like a competent team at all but the jet they played the jets really well both times beat them the first time uh, and almost beat them the second time so uh, it's just really tough before the season to judge uh, how hard a schedule is going to be yeah and for those reasons i think we can all at least go into whatever the beginning of the season will be with a little bit of optimism because until we see you know those teams be exactly what they expect to be i think the jets have a chance so that's what we got with the schedule kind of exciting it puts everything in a little bit more real situation where you can look and say all right this is what it's looking like bills first week again start prepping for them a few months out (laughs) but uh 
Next section we're going to talk about is the draft because I haven't talked to you about this draft yet, and I know you've covered some of it already. You've done some on, you know, on your websites and on your Twitter and on other podcasts and things. But what are your overall thoughts on this Jets draft, what Joe Douglas did, his approach, and then I'll kind of give you mine, and uh, then we can kind of talk about the players, I guess, individually. I was a big fan of it, and I really think the biggest key to take away from it is less so than the players themselves, just the overall approach uh, and just the competency that Joe Douglas showed. There there just seemed to be a plan and understanding of the board and a vision uh, of what he wanted the team to be, just consistently across the board, you know, team captains, high character guys. You hear general managers all the time talk about, you know, building a culture uh, and trying to do things like that, but they don't really follow up on it. Uh, but Joe Douglas throughout his off season has really stuck with that and emphasized bringing in these high character guys. And long-term that's going to be really beneficial and just establishing that uh, just kind of that identity of what a, a Jets team is supposed to be. He really did that in the draft. Uh, and just in terms of the trades he did, trading down and getting still getting Mims after that, that trade was just genius. We all wanted Mims at that spot at number 48. Yep. He trades down 11 spots and gets uh, what turns out to be three extra picks and mm-hmm. still gets Mims. So he just showed a really strong understanding of the board in terms of the talent. Also in the first round, you know, there are rumors before the draft about them trading up to ensure getting one of those tackles. And as it turned out, he sat right there at 11 and had his choice between two of those top tackles. So he showed a really strong understanding of the board, got high character guys like he said he wanted to uh, across the board uh, with just really throughout all of these picks, just no character concerns whatsoever. Uh, and, and also just what he did really well, I think, is just blend need and talent. Uh, just really efficiently balance those two things. He didn't, he filled a lot of needs, but he didn't reach to do it. You know, back to number 11, perfectly fine value. Mims at 59 is a major steal. Uh, and then he also got, you know, Zuniga in the third round, filling that edge role. Uh, he was a good value there. And Davis in the third round, even though it wasn't the prototype kind of secondary help we wanted there in terms of a cornerback, he got Bryce Hall much later on, a third round caliber talent. And in that third round got Davis, who was mostly considered a high second, mid second, high third round pick. And he got him uh, middle late third. So really throughout the draft and also got Cameron Clark later on, who I think is uh, I, I think Clark is probably one of my favorite picks, maybe my second, third favorite pick behind those top two. He uh, his film against Clemson is just really dominant, uh, I think. And his numbers are spectacular, for, even though he played for. Uh, Lester competition and conference USA with Charlotte great numbers and he backed up backed it up with good film against the one great team that he did face Uh, so I like the Clark pick but just overall he was able to Joe Douglas uh, he really inspired and you have to see how you know you have to give it years to actually see how well all these picks actually pan out how well they play but uh, at least for now he just showed Joe Douglas really inspired a lot of confidence with just his consistency his vision balancing you know, being able to fill needs while not reaching to do that uh, just really seemed like a, a man with the plan, a franchise with the plan, and just understanding what they're trying to accomplish, filling needs, but also not doing it in a irrational sort of way. So just the whole entire, uh, uh, just the way that Douglas went through this draft, his mentality, his approach to it, uh, it just was very sound to me. And really, it, it really definitely has me inspired to see what he can do over the years. I love what you said, manipulating the board, controlling it, showing his poise. He didn't panic at any point. 
it felt like a lot of times watching Mike McCagden, which is what we're most used to going into this, it felt like McCagden was panicking. felt like he was making weird trades that ended in weird places, and you didn't really understand why. And I went into this whole thing with 10 top needs for the Jets. We had eight picks. We ended up with 10 picks, and we ended up hitting nine of the 10 needs that I had. The only thing that we didn't grab was a kicker, and I would have liked to grab Rodrigo Blankenship with the final pick. We traded it for Quincy Wilson, another cornerback, which was on the needs list. Perfectly fine. But just the way that he did that and just being so in line, and there were moments where, it was, you know, first pick everybody, a lot of people thought, should be a tackle, offensive line, build the wall, we need it. He does that first. Then to go to Denzel Mims, and we all wanted him at 48, like you said, and then to grab him later, you know, we it, for a moment it was just like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? We're right back to where we were. We had the guy on the board that we wanted, and we're trading it away, which is what Mike McCagden constantly did. And then Joe Douglas still gets him, adds the extra picks, fills in those spots, and makes this team deep, adds a lot of youth, gets a lot of value, finds a guy like Bryce Hall. And, I, you know, me and my dad were both clamoring for Hall in rounds three and rounds four. Like, go for this guy. What are we doing? And we still ended up getting him. So most of those guys that were on the board just sitting there just felt like he knew what he could do, played it his way, and got the guys that he wanted. I think the culture is going to be great. I'm super happy with the draft overall and, uh, you know, it remains to be seen what everybody's going to do on the field because that's what matters most. And half the time you think someone's going to be great. It's the opposite. Other times, undrafted free agents are the stars. We got a few of those as well. But it really was, in terms of like competency and just understanding what was happening, it felt like Joe Douglas was on top of it start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you said with McCagden, like, like um, I think the Darnold trade, for example, and I, I definitely support it then. I still do because quarterback is extremely important. You want to get that nailed down no matter what. But still, they traded three second-round picks to get up to that third spot to get Darnold when, as it turned out, they may have been able to stay at the, at the sixth pick and be able to get him. Now, we, we don't know that because the Jets could have stayed at six. Another team could have traded up ahead of the Jets, like Buffalo or another team that took a quarterback. So we don't know. But at the same time, just what Douglas was able to do, stayed at 11, got the tackle that they needed, and also taking tackle – over receiver that was definitely really important to me that he did that just showed an understanding of what is most important for this team because you know receiver can't as important as it is for the Jets as big of a need as as it is uh, those guys just are not going to make as much of an impact until you get the offensive line fixed up first they don't have time to get open they're just not going to make too much of an impact so um, showing understanding of the board staying there taking the right position then getting Mims later on after trading down the only thing that was questionable to me in this class was taking Morgan in the fourth round uh, quarterback from Florida International. But uh, I get that backup quarterback was a need. But at the same time, a fourth round quarterback uh, from Florida International is probably not going to be a great backup to start out. And I'm just not a huge fan of quarterback picks when you don't have a pressing need there. But, you know, there is some rationale to it. Uh, because again, back of quarterback was a need. You would like to invest in the most important position in the sport, have some security. Uh, but I, I think I would have gone different direction, probably taking another receiver there. Like um, Tyler Johnson, his guy really wanted from Minnesota. He went to Tampa Bay and I believe the late fifth round. But uh, so other than Morgan, it was really overall just very, very sound draft from Joe Douglas. And We'll see again. We'll see how these picks turn out. It doesn't really matter what we think now. It, it matters what they actually do on the field. Uh, but in terms of right now, as we sit here, it just seems like uh, we have a general manager who kind of has uh, just plain and simple has an idea what he's doing, really in control 
of what this team's vision is and how he's going to execute it. Yeah. Yep. That's absolutely right. So I just kind of want to know in terms of these guys, we haven't talked about each one. We don't have time to go into all 10 of them. I'm, I'm considering Quincy Wilson part of this draft class. I call it the Joe Douglas Super 10 because the 10 guys that he's brought in in his first draft of the Jets, and I was basically on board with all of them. James Morgan, you know, left me a little befuddled as well, but like you said, I see the the thought behind it. I can definitely argue that it's not a horrible pick. If I'm talking to a Patriots fan, it's the best pick ever, but, you know, it was one that left me a little confused. I want to kind of go through and see, you know, both of us maybe give one sentence or a phrase on each one of these guys on our thoughts on what they are, what they could be, or what we just feel about the draft pick overall, if that's cool with you. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so starting with number one, one sentence, one phrase, Mekhi Becton, offensive tackle out of Louisville. What do you got? Huge. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that basically sums it up. I would say mountain of a man, and possibly can Le'Veon Bell now run outside? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> because we know we haven't been doing that. Um, moving over to number two pick, wide receiver Denzel Mims out of Baylor. I'm going to go with Joe Douglas deserves a statue. <laughs> okay. I will say he's the ideal big outside wide receiver. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense as well. He's kind of got that, like, when you look at the receivers in the league that, at least for my childhood between, like, you know, 2000 to 2013, what was, like, the perfect wide receiver? Denzel Mims basically has that. I know it's kind of shifted more towards those, like, Tyreek Hills are getting a lot of attention and stuff now. But, I mean, Denzel Mims, that's 6'3", 200 pounds. It's just, he's got a lot to like. Yeah, he's got that go-up-and-get-it kind of ability that even when he's not open, he's open kind of, kind of receiver. Kind of like it reminds you of, you know, it's kind of shallow because, you know, we're just thinking about Jets receivers. But 2015 Marshall, just that, uh, the the fade in the in the red zone, the ability to just throw it up and him be able to come down with it. So I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah, for sure. I know. I'm so excited because Sam Darnold also likes to like just take those chances too and just let Yeah, exactly. He's plays. a perfect compliment. And Darnold just hasn't had that guy at wide receiver. So it's going to be huge to see those two together. Definitely looking forward to that one. And then we move on to number three, Ashton Davis, safety out of Cal. What do you got on him? I'd say surprising, but sensible. Okay. Got more of a question here. Special teams standout, and possibly you can you can speak on this because you're a huge special teams buff. For those of you that don't know, Michael Nania, Nania absolutely loves special teams. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and this guy runs like he didn't run the pro day, but they said he could be between a four two eight and a four three seven is probably where he'd be. I mean, what are the thoughts on him as just coming in here trying to find a spot and just being that that gunner replacing Rontez Miles, being the special teams expert? Do you think that's something that he could flourish in? Yeah, it's absolutely something he could do. And and it's too bad we didn't get to see him run officially anywhere because he would have put up a great number and a number that probably wouldn't have got him to the Jets probably would have gone a lot higher. But, you know, with that, anyone who has speed is going to find their way on special teams uh, until they get until they nail down a starting role. So he could definitely make that impact uh, in punt coverage, especially uh, but really across any of the four uh, punt kick coverage units. He could definitely make an impact there. But on defense, it'll be interesting to see where he fits in. Probably single highs his best fit, but he can, does have the experience to play all different roles, slot coverage, outside, in the box. So just just another chess piece for Greg Williams to use. We know how much he likes to move around his DBs. Mm-hmm. 
and we are going to need the fastest guys we can get on that punt return or that punt coverage team. And we'll, Absolutely. Get, to the, we'll get to that one soon. But we got to move on to the next third round pick, edge rusher Jabari Zuniga out of Florida. What do you have on him? I would I would go with him. I'd I'd say kind of, I'd say underrated. I feel like he has not gotten too much attention among this class. Yeah, he definitely hasn't. He's one of those guys that at that spot in the draft, he was one of the ones that maybe left a few more people because there were a lot of names on the board that we knew. And Zaniga was one of those edge guys that you'd heard, but kind of, you know, you weren't sure that that was where Joe Douglas was going to go in the draft. For me, I put combine stud with great downline burst. He just dominated the combine and, you know, he's been injured. He came back and what he did with the numbers and the metrics that he put up, it just looked like he wasn't injured at all. So if that was a concern, it shouldn't be because he had a 33 inch vertical and he had one of the fastest um, 10 yard, I think it was the 10 yard shuttle or 10 yard cone. One of those, he had like the fastest time out of all 93 guys that were eligible. I think that he could be, you know, he's one of, we definitely have a need there and there's definitely going to be opportunity for him to play. We are. Yeah, I feel like there's some other edge guys who are on the board at that point who most fans were looking at more so over him. But most most boards had him or at least online, you know, uh, that are available to us, had him valued in that spot. So, you know, injuries were he did, uh, I believe, only played five games this past season. But when he did play his pressure, both uh, as a pass rusher and against the run, his numbers are really, really good when he played this past season. So I, I think he's not getting enough attention. Uh, as one of the potentially best values of this Jets class. Yeah, and hopefully he, you know, he earns a name pretty quickly in the season because we are going to need his help. Yeah, absolutely. Let me get to the fourth round pick. First one, Joe Douglas has three at this point. At pick number 120, they go with running back LaMichael P. Ryan. We've already mentioned him out of Florida. With I'm actually going to go with a player name here. I'm going to say Bilal Powell. Mm. Yeah. He just reminds you so much of him when you see him play. Yeah, Just being able to do a little bit of everything. And uh, yeah, I definitely see that. And also the potential of him to come in and do that same role because Bilal Powell actually has never run for more than 200 carries in a season. And to come in there and just be the guy for the Jets that can be a backup and own the role and be ready the second someone gets injured, someone goes down, be there and play well. I mean, Bilal Powell, he's one of the best class acts the Jets have had. I hope that those are big shoes to fill, even though he was never the star running back on the team. who's never the number one guy. I mean, he's a very loved player in Jets history. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if P. Ryan can do what Bilal Powell has done for the Jets, it would, it would definitely be great value. And again, it goes back to what we said with Frank Gore. Uh, P. Ryan isn't the explosive back that I think. There were a lot of backs still available at that point, who mm-hmm. uh, a few of them ended up going a lot later on, like Eno Benjamin. Uh, but there were some more exciting running backs, I think, at that point. But P. Ryan is probably the most pro-ready and well-rounded that was available. So, you know, just different, you know, f- different points of emphasis between the fans and the Jets. You know, we kind of wanted, wanted explosiveness. That is a real need for them. The Jets are kind of looking more for a pro-ready guy, maybe a guy who can take over for Le'Veon Bell in the future. So uh, there's definitely a lot of sense to it. It wasn't exciting, but he has that potential to be, as you said, uh, a ball Powell type kind of guy who's well-rounded and can just step in, be that number two, uh, and just provide that kind of value over a long period of time. Yep, and that would be a really nice thing to have for the New York Jets moving forward to the transition with this team. And uh, Hopefully it's the case. Then the next one, you mentioned this one before. 
Uh, the, the second fourth round pick the Jets had quarterback James Morgan out of Florida International. With this one, I'd go. I I'd put it just like this. I see the rationale, not the worst move ever, but I would go a different direction. Yeah, and that's completely understandable. And I liked Tyler Johnson a lot. I thought that he would definitely be a big ad. What can you do? This is the way Douglas goes. I've got it as Gase's new clipboard stand with more upside than David fails. Because yeah, that definitely makes sense. And because you know, if he can fulfill his potential, because he seems like a high upside guy, big arm size all of those at- attributes that you like in an upside quarterback, then he can become that long-term backup. But also the question mark with that is, you know, if he is actually that good, then he'll probably sign with another team down the line. And, you know, best the, the thing with a quarterback pick in this situation that I always come back to is that the best case scenario is that Sam Darnold plays really well, becomes your franchise quarterback, doesn't get hurt. Then, you know, in that situation, then Morgan wouldn't be providing you any value if things plan out the way they hope. So uh, it, definitely that's the question mark with me just in terms of upside. It seems kind of limited, but again, I can see it. And really the, the thing that I think is the best case for it is that if you look at draft history over the past decade or so, quarterbacks fifth round or later have just been, have had very, very little success, but fourth round, there is still, uh, Andy Dalton or uh, not Andy Dalton, uh, da- Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott. There are a few good success stories there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it does make sense in that sense that uh, there's still some uh, quarterbacks have been pretty decent, a pretty decent indes- investment at that point. But I, I would have gone different direction, but it'll be interesting to see uh, if Morgan can give them some quality backup play because they have really missed that the past two seasons. Yeah, they have. I think it's refreshing to not go in with Luke Falk again. To know that it's not going to be him just feels great. Yeah, absolutely. And and it feels like Gase has always had, like he's been bringing Fails around with him, and Fails has no reason really, you know, I like the guy well enough, but there's no reason for him really to be on an NFL roster taking up a spot with what he's done in the league. But Gase likes to have him because he's been in his system, he knows the stuff, he holds the clipboard, he's there to bounce ideas off. I don't know what he's like in the film room, but I imagine he's definitely bringing something. I think that with a guy like James Morgan, maybe you replace Fails. Gase can teach him his way, his mentality. The idea for Gase is that he's going to be here for years and years, whether we like to admit it or not. And if you have James Morgan, who he brings up, teaches him his way, and he has him as a guy that he can bounce ideas off, the guy's supposed to be really smart, hard worker, and he does have that upside because he's got the arm. So, you know, potentially, we'll see what happens. At least until James Morgan ever touches the field, will feel a little bit better than we did if we had a guy like Luke Falk or David Fales being the backup. Because you still have that in the back of your head like, well, it's possible Christian Hackenberger, Bryce Petty or something. Maybe they just haven't gotten the chance yet. Maybe they, you know. So I guess the optimism there, we can hold on to that. With the Yeah, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, and pre- it'll be interesting, too, with the offseason. You know, he's not going to, uh, depending on how much time they get, it'll be even tougher for him become an instantly good backup but hopefully Darnold plays 16 games this season so we don't have to worry about that yet and uh if he is going to miss Darnold is going to miss any games hopefully he doesn't ever again but if he is going to miss them hopefully they come after Morgan has had a couple years of seasoning yep and I tell you this right now the first time Sam Darnold plays a full 16 games he is going to break New York Jets records it's just gonna happen. I agree definitely and hopefully it's this year because I can't wait to see what he can do in 16 games. Moving to the number, uh, the fourth round pick, the third one in that 
you mentioned that you loved him. Offensive tackle Cameron Clark out of Charlotte. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to say one word. I'm actually actually no because this word that I just came up with I feel like applies better to the next pick after this one. But uh, I, I'm going to say this is the this. I'm just going to say this is my favorite value pick of the draft because I feel like there is a good chance he can come in and be a decent backup this year, maybe compete for a starting spot and take over as a long-term guard in 2021. I really like his entire profile. Uh, I think he's a good value where they got him. Yeah, I agree with that. I say he's the developmental backup offensive lineman that we needed. You've always had one of those guys that's there, you know, the Dakota Dozers of the team, Maybe the, the Brent Quayle. Some of them make it up. Some of them don't. Brandon Shell ended up being well. But you need to have those younger guys that are in the mix that right, are potentially exactly. moving up. Because if you don't have the pipeline, you get things go bad quickly. And I think that he does have great upside. I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. I, I look forward to seeing all the stuff that you post on him because I'm sure that you have uh, a lot of stuff out there on him. Yeah, and, and the word that you mentioned, pipeline, that's so huge. It's exactly as I went into day three, that was one of my top goals for them to add specifically a guard because they do have a little bit going at tackle with Adoga Fant, obviously a Becton now starting, but uh, to add some pipe, a pipeline talent at guard is really important because they don't, they did not have that until I drafted Clark. You know, you have some veteran stopgap pieces in place, but to add some developmental talent was really huge. And it picking Clark is just a big part of the whole offensive line plan that Douglas has done this season because now you have that developmental piece that you can, uh, again, just kind of have progress as, you know, maybe he competes this year, probably not, but preferably he uh, makes that play for a starting spot next year. And you have Alex Lewis, Van Roten, those maybe winters, hopefully not in my opinion, but you have those guys uh, to hold it down for at least this season and Clark can develop. So to have those guys is really huge. And that's something Mike McCagnan did not do well, just investing in offensive linemen, kind of taking shots at the dartboard until something hits. Uh, that's something he didn't do well enough. So for Douglas to go out and get that developmental talent in Clark is very, was, was a very important thing to do, and I think he picked the right guy for it. Oh, yeah, and you posted that ridiculous number, I think, a few weeks ago that was just like the amount of of draft pick board value that he put Mike McCaffrey yeah, yeah. on the offensive line versus Joe Douglas, and like with one pick he was already surpassing him by ridiculous amounts. And it's just it just goes to show – different philosophy that we have moving in now and uh and it feels good because we all knew as unflashy as the offensive line is we all for the most part love sam darnold Le'Veon bell want to see what these guys can do but we know that it's not really going to count we're not really going to see it until that line is built so every pick there every move that they make to upgrade that offensive line i'm on board with yeah exactly and uh one of mccagnan's flaws in terms of like uh what you were talking about like just by picking becton in the first round that was already in terms of the draft trade chart points already more substantially more value uh, than McCagna never put into the offensive line in the draft. So uh, it, it, one of the, the biggest flaws I think with McCagna is just that, you know, best player available is great, but you have to balance those two things. If you're taking best player available every year and you're just stacking up in defensive tackles, even though he did hit on a decent number of those picks uh, it's, it's just, you're not going to have a balanced roster. You're not going to be, have a pipeline of talent you're not going to just plain and simply not going to be good enough at positions that matter uh, and that's why they are where they are now sam darnold hasn't had 
that help at offensive line or wide receiver because they didn't emphasize those positions. And when they did, they didn't hit on those picks. So uh, for the fact that Douglas has, or at least in this first draft, as we sit here right now, uh, has balanced those two things, you know, getting ta- filling needs, but at the same time, not reaching to do them. Uh, seems like he has, uh, is a, someone who will have that happy middle ground that the jets have not had their past few general managers. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, it is refreshing. It is nice to see. And hopefully, hopefully it's noticeable week one when the Jets go out there. The next pick that we got, the fifth round pick, cornerback Bryce Hall out of Virginia. So I'm going to use the word that I was planning to use with Clark, but I think it applies better here. I'm going to go with Steele. I really think that Bryce Hall in the fifth round is, and as you said, you were hoping for him in the third round. I was looking at him with those first three picks. Uh, in the fourth round so to get him way down in the fifth was a was a great value you're talking about a guy who was seen as a first round prospect after 2018 was playing at a similar level this season till he got hurt uh, and then you know was one of many prospects who were kind of uh, who kind of screwed over by you know all the things that have we've been dealing with this offseason canceled pro days combine things like that you know uh, part of the big reason that he slipped is just that you know, teams didn't get the chance to really evaluate his injuries, be able to see where he's at. So the Jets were the beneficiaries of that. So uh, with with them being so deep this year, a cornerback, he does have the chance to kind of have a bless Austin sort of uh, sort of year um, in which he, you know, essentially redshirts his rookie season. Austin got thrown in just because, you know, the position was so bad and there were so many injuries. But with the depth the Jets have this year, Paul does have a good a good opportunity to redshirt this season. You know, if he does break out and start play well, that's great. But, you know, with the depth the Jets have, he has a, a good opportunity to develop and like Clark compete for a starting spot in 2021. But uh, this is a guy who is much more talented than I think most fifth round prospects you'll ever hope to get. So and he's also a great fit with uh, the zone defense that Greg Williams uh, Greg Williams liked to play kind of that identity. He developed a lot of cover two, cover three, dropping the cornerbacks uh, into zones and instead of playing the man-to-man. Hall's a great fit for that. So uh, I, he's a great fit, great talent for the fifth round. Yep, and what I have for this, steal of the draft. I agree with you 100%. I mean, we both wanted him earlier, got him in the fifth round, shows Joe Douglas's understanding of the board, getting this guy later, and you hit the nail on the head with, the way he's going to fit into this Greg Williams defense, because the way we play zones, Bryce Hall is a great cornerback, was really good for Virginia. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's got really good ball instincts, plays the man tight, has great pass deflection ability. And if you play a zone with him, I think that he's going to be he's going to be able to be really, really good. And we saw what Greg Williams was able to do last year with guys like Maurice Kennedy, Arthur Mollette, Bless Austin. We were moving guys in and out all season long, and somehow we never got truly, truly exposed unless like true main Johnson was on the field, we really were never horrible. And if we've got guys like Bryce Hall that have the natural ability, could have been a first round pick, like you said earlier. I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy. I think that he's the perfect fit for this team. And probably in terms of value, he's my favorite pick of the draft. I think I was probably more excited about the Denzel Mims pick because I was so sad that we didn't get him at 48. And I was just like, oh, no way. And then when we got him later and the picks, that was like the happiest I've been since Sam Darnold was drafted. But the Bryce Hall pick, great value. And then moving on, I, this one is going to be potentially a sore subject for you, but the New York Jets drafted a new punter 
in the sixth round at pick 191, they got Braden Mann. And for those of you that don't know, Michael Nania is obsessed not only with special teams, but with Lachlan Edwards, <laughs> the Australian punter that we've had for a few years who's been pretty good. I mean, you could say whatever you want here. How are you taking this? So I was a little a little bit sad in that first, but fellow members of the Lachlan Edwards fan club will probably be uh, a little disappointed to hear that I've, I've kind of changed my tune really quickly. I've kind of hopped aboard from the Aussie bandwagon to now the Texas A&M Braden Man bandwagon. Because, Kyle, when you look into it, Lachlan's uh, individual numbers aren't that great. The Jets punting you, and it was really good this past season. I think they're fourth in DVOA, but mostly that was because of the coverage. Edwards, in terms of hang time, forcing fair catches inside the 10, things like that. Wasn't all that great, but you look at Braden Mann, the guy who set numerous records at uh, at Texas A&M. Uh, I, I have a, a couple articles that are just filled with records uh, that he set at Jets X Factor and also one that kind of looked at the different things that elite punters in the NFL do well that he has to master. But, uh, you know, he's as good of a punting prospect as there's as there has been. Uh, in a while in this league, he's got incredible leg strength. So uh, as you kind of touched on earlier, that's why Ashton Davis could be a really good asset in special teams because it's all about power with man. That's his game. Uh, just booting it with incredible distance. And he was able to be effective. Even uh, his power is just so good that he's able to be effective even without great hang time or control. But in 2019, he got a lot. His distance numbers went down but his ability to force inside the 20 punts, avoid touchbacks, things like that got a lot better. And he's also very involved in coverage. He played linebacker in high school. I believe he made seven tackles this past season. He forced a fumble in 2018. So he'll get involved in coverage. And if, you know, if he's out kicking the coverage, he'll help out by getting down there. So there's a lot to like with Braden, man. He's got to work on his hang time and controlled kind of master, uh, just kind of, uh, bring together his power and really get the most out of it. So there are those question marks, but he's joining the God Brant Boyer, who's been incredible as a special teams coordinator. Jets have a lot of great coverage guys who I think, and I'm going to say now they carried Lachlan Edwards these past couple seasons. There, I said it. Uh, Lachlan <laughs> Edwards is, I thank him for his holding abilities. I think he did great carrying Jason Myers to his pro bowl season in 2018, which he could not replicate the Seahawks. But uh, so I thank Lachlan for his services, but I'm all aboard the Braden man bandwagon as we go into 2020. Yep. And I'm right there with you because what I had for him is just future all pro punter. There's nothing not to like about this guy. And Lachlan Edwards was fine. He was a serviceable, decent punter in the NFL. When you talk about a guy who can punt farther, he does the kickoffs as a punter because he can boot the ball out of the end zone. He gets involved in the tackling game better than Lachlan Edwards did. I mean, and he's really good at touchbacks as well. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and you could probably correct me on this if I'm wrong, Brandon Mann set the NCAA record in 2018 for the longest punt average ever. Yes, he did. I, mean, I, I forget what the exact number was. I think 51. it was 50, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he has the career record as well, I believe, for average punt distance. So in terms of, like, because as you said, Edwards, like, there were no problems with the Jets punting no. unit. They didn't allow big returns, big touchdowns, blocked punts, muffs. There were no big mistakes, but there also weren't too many. Like there weren't many instances of Edwards, uh, and the numbers back it up. I have the article at Jets X Factor that went into it, but he wasn't really pinning opponents deep too much. He didn't have field flippers. Mm-hmm. That's what Braden Mann can do for you. So hopefully those mistakes can continue to be a non-issue as they have been the past few years. 
but uh, he has the potential to be a much bigger difference maker than Edwards was. Yep. I just couldn't believe that some people didn't have him as like uh, when they go to the draft grades, he didn't get an A plus on every board. When you're talking about a sixth round pick, who's going to be a flyer to begin with at pick 191. And you're talking about potentially, like you said, the best punter prospect to come out of college since Shane Leckler. I mean, this guy could change everything for the punting unit for the Jets. I mean, it's going to be difficult for these guys to keep up which, because he's going to potentially outkick the coverage unit. That's one of the worries with him. Hopefully Ashton Davis and some other players can help with that. But when you have, I mean, the Jets punted a lot last year. We were pinned inside our own 15, inside our own 20, over and over last year. When you have a guy that can just kick the ball flat out far, it's just, you can't beat that sometimes. And I'm really looking forward to him. I truly believe that this guy is about to be a future all-pro punter. You can mark it down now. This He's he's ready to go. I, I agree with you. I'm looking forward to numerous trips to the Pro Bowl for Braden Mann. <laughs> that is the dream. As the New York Jets special teams unit for however many years in a row it has continued to just be awesome from Mike Westoff to Bram Boyer. I mean, what a unit to hang our hat on. Yeah, absolutely. And Brave man is going to continue the legacy. Big credit to Bram Boyer. Uh, and he's teaming up. Also, Braden will be teaming up with Thomas Hennessy, the best long snapper in the league. Team's got to watch out for real. Yep. Yep. They're going to, they're going to wish we weren't punting. <laughs> and then uh, with the final 10th pick, we'll call it in the Joe Douglas super 10, the New York just traded pick number 211 to the Indianapolis Colts again for a cornerback, just like they did Nate Hairston last year. This time, cornerback Quincy Wilson out of Florida. What do you got on him? I'm going to call this one smart value. I think anytime you can trade a day three pick, especially a late sixth rounder for a guy who is, you know, hasn't played great in the NFL, but is an NFL player, was his second round pick. I think it's always a win because you look at the history, just the odds of a sixth round pick actually making it in the league as anything remotely valuable. They're very low. So if you can get a guy in Quincy Wilson, who uh, even though he didn't work out too well for the Colts, we kind of know what his strengths and weaknesses are where he can help the Jets. We know he can play in the NFL. And I think that alone is makes him more valuable than whoever you would have taken with that sixth round pick. So I'm a huge fan. Anytime you could trade a late round pick, for a, a known commodity, even if that commodity isn't a great player, uh, it's still a guy in Quincy Wilson who's only going into his fourth year, was a second-round pick, and played pretty decently his first two years, even though he struggled uh, this past year. So just another great add to the cornerback room, and I think he's definitely much more valuable than whoever they would have taken with that six-round pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to say interesting flyer with upside because – like you said, I mean, he was a second-round pick. The guy has the athletic ability. He has flashed in moments, especially at Florida, where you're like, okay, this guy could be a top-tier cornerback in the NFL, perhaps. He never really got the chance there, but we've seen Greg Williams. If anybody can turn a random cornerback into a relative, like, arguably decent starter, I mean, you bring a guy with the upside of Quincy Wilson, I think it could potentially be great. And worst-case scenario, it doesn't work out. The roster spot's going to go to a guy like Arthur Mollette. LaShawn Austin, somebody else that we'd be happy to see on there. We actually now, for the first time, have like seven or eight decent cornerbacks. And I actually, we're not going to have a chance to get to it all today, but I think there's a couple good undrafted free agents that they got in the cornerback area that potentially could be fighting for a spot as well. So from what was potentially the biggest weakness of the entire team last year, we're going into this one. It's not an elite group. It's not anything flashy with the number one, number two outside cornerbacks. But when you look at the group as a whole and you see what Greg Williams can do in his own defenses, I think that you got to feel decently good about what we've got back there. 
Yeah, and depth is really the huge thing. Like when we were going to last season, it was such a huge question. Yeah, Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts starting, not a good duo, didn't turn out to be. But beyond them, it was just a huge question mark, it just filled with guys who aren't even in the league now. Kyron Brown, mm-hmm. uh, are, um, a f- just a few other guys as well whose names like uh, I don't even remember, and I'm sure a lot of other fans don't either. But uh, now there are just there's just so much more depth and competition there. Hopefully some of these guys, or a couple of them can emerge as good starters, but with all these names, you're giving yourself such a good chance to uh, not only get a good starter or two, but have good depth if those starters get hurt because cornerbacks do get hurt quite a bit. Uh, so to have Pierre Desir, bless, bless Austin, Arthur Millette, Bryce Hall, Quincy Wilson, hopefully Logan Ryan. I don't want to jinx it, uh, but so much depth there. You're good in the slot with Brian Poole. Nate Harrison as well is out there. So just so many names in this cornerback room with legitimate starting upside uh, or if not good starters, they could be good depth as well so just a lot of depth in this cornerback room it's going to be a position that was a weakness last year now has a lot of competition and upside yeah and it feels really good I mean we've we've now closed out the Joe Douglas Super 10 all 10 picks and just feels good going forward with the guys that we have here because we did fill needs we filled bench pieces the guys that are depth make sense for depth we've got some developmental pieces and we got great value and hit on a bunch of positions and added a few potential future all pros. So overall good draft. I think we're both in agreement that this was a success for Joe Douglas's first NFL draft. Yeah, definitely. It was hugely uh, success as successful as it can be, you know, a couple weeks after, you know, it happened before the players even take the field Uh, just in the the sense that his overall process, uh, the way he went about it his just the overall approach was very, very promising, very, very sound, and I think detail oriented really was uh, paying attention to the board, playing it really well and showing an, an understanding of the board. Just, I think there are a lot of fundamental aspects that he had on. Yep. And I couldn't agree more with that. Um, so hopefully we will have a, a regular timed season to the NFL season. We'll get to see these guys get to work and see what Joe Douglas's new group, youthful movement, the influx of talent that we got, see what they can do for this New York Jets team that desperately needs some new young talent guys under cheap contracts. But before we close this thing out, Michael, I don't know when the next time I'm going to talk to you on here is going to be. I do. Uh, I always look forward to the, the training camp battles and things like that. I want to know out of this team that we have with, you know, top to bottom, we've got some no name guys. You basically know the entire roster. I'm sure you do. Um, who do you have for maybe if you could pick one dark horse candidate, not a draft ad this year, but one guy that maybe people aren't giving enough credit to in the off season that could go in and, Maybe they're not fighting for a starting job. Maybe they're going to be impactful. Whatever you think, a dark horse candidate for the Jets. I really like Bless Austin to become a pretty good starter. We've been talking about cornerbacks now for a few minutes, but and there are a lot of names in there he has to compete with who, who have uh, played a lot of starts in the league. You know, Maybe Logan Ryan will be in there kind of locking start down. Maybe he won't be, but uh, either way, there's going to be a lot of competition, but I like what Austin showed a lot at the end of last season. He seems like a great fit. I kind of really helped the Jets establish an identity on defense last year, uh, playing cover two, playing zone, letting this Jamal Adams uh, and Brian Poole kind of move around a bit, let Greg Williams get creative, uh, playing zone on the outside. He was a good fit uh, with what they were doing, kind of helped them finally figure out what they wanted to be. They played really well once he's in there. And no, I'm not saying they won games because of him, but you know, he was a big part of it. He was 
covering really well over the time that he was starting. He made a huge mistake against Pittsburgh, played poorly in that game. Greg Williams benched him, but uh, just the fact that you know he even played a game last season was impressive. Coming off of two ACL tears, uh, had so many, you know, was very low in the depth chart, had to overcome a lot uh, to get into that position. The fact that he played at all made his rookie season a success. The fact that he started, played really well, you know, his yards per cover snap allowed was very good when he was out there. Uh, among the best in the league, kind of, I think he was top five, top 10 for, uh, even if you include the games he didn't play well, I think he was still in the top 25% in terms of yards lap or cover snap. So not only playing, but starting, playing well, and helping the Jets play their best defense of the season and finally get a groove going. He was really impressive. I think his length uh, is, is really a good fit for what the Jets were doing near the end of last season. I like his fluidity. I think he's able to come out of breaks, uh, just be able to stick with receivers really well. Uh, it, gives, it gives a really good recover, uh, recoverability. There were some instances where he didn't make the best read on the ball, but he was able to recover with that length and those quick hips. So I really like bless Austin. I think he is going to become, I'm willing to say that he is going to become a good starter. We'll see if it happens. It's not a lock, but I'm, I'm I'm pretty confident in him. I do like what he showed last season. uh, And and I look forward to him competing against a lot of great competition. I think that's a good point that I don't think is brought up enough is truly when he was drafted, the thought was that he was going to be on the PUP list going to IR and we were never going to see him play. And the fact that we did see him play is actually really remarkable because it was basically written down from the beginning, Bless Austin's going to be gone for the season. We're missing him. And then to see him come in at a time when we really wanted to see some young cornerbacks come in and try somebody new as we're rotating doors through Daryl Roberts and Trumaine Johnson and Nate Hairston. To see him come in and do that, I mean, it can't be overstated what he did. So I'm glad that you, you highlighted him. I look forward to seeing what he can do with the Jets this year. I definitely think there's going to be an opportunity for him. But as we've been talking about, there's depth there, so it's going to be a nice competition going on because there's a bunch of people that could potentially win that job. And we know Greg Williams is not shy in terms of benching people if he has to do it. So we'll see how LaShawn Austin shakes out there. I have, for mine, if I'm picking a dark horse candidate, I look at the offense and I see that we are absolutely lacking in you know, big playability, even real weapons for Sam. We've brought in some guys like LaMichael Pirine, potentially Denzel Mims. These guys are going to take a little while to get ready. And when I'm looking at these these wide receivers, especially outside, because I trust Crowder in the slot, when you're looking at like Paraman, potentially Josh Doxson, a guy that I think that could come in and be a really good fit with Sam Darnold is a guy we had last year, Vincent Smith, who's only going to be 24 this season. And this guy had a few opportunities last year when he was 23 years old, and he made some really big things happen. He doesn't get enough credit for what he did. Not only was he great on kickoff returns and had a long of 78 yards last year. Not only did he win a game against Miami with a huge 37-yard catch to bring us down the field, he did things when no one else was doing them. I mean, when you're talking about a game against the Eagles in the fourth quarter where the Jets are down 24-0, I think that's the game that Luke Falk and David Fales combined for like 10 opposing sacks. Vincent Smith gets a rushing touchdown when you thought that nobody on the team was going to score a touchdown until Sam Darnold came back. You felt like the only way was special teams or defense to score. And he ran for one. And I think time and time again, Vincent Smith showed up when you weren't expecting all that much. When we were supposed to lose to the Dolphins with a minute 22 down two points and he gets that big catch, the big touchdown, the kickoff returns and stuff. And at 24 years old, a guy that ran a 4-3-6 40-yard dash, played for a decent school, is only in his second team. I mean, what, he didn't have a great season with the Texans his rookie year. But how many wide receivers, especially like a sixth-round pick, come out and are great their rookie year? He improved on it last year. 
And me and my dad actually gave him a nickname, Big Play Vince, because the guy, when he comes in, he finds a way to get it done. He didn't have flashy numbers. He wasn't all over the, the screen last year. But I just I think that this team needs somebody on the outside. They need a wide receiver. And I think that there's reason to believe he could potentially fill one of those roles outside and be better than most people are giving him credit for. What do you think about him? I actually like that you picked him out as that guy because, you know, like, like, does he have the skill set to be, you know, a future number one? Probably not. But with the ball in his hands, he showed you some really good speed last last year. You mentioned he ran a four, three, six, and he looks like he has that speed with the ball in his hands. You know, the end around against the Eagles was impressive. Shout out to Le'Veon Bell for his lead block on that play. Uh, the, the catch and run against Miami was impressive. And he also drew the pass interference that saved them right after that in that game. So he had a few big plays in which he showed you his speed with the ball in his hands. So he could definitely be that guy for them because you have Rashad Perriman, Denzel Mims, two guys who can get vertical and make contested catches. That's not really Vincent Smith's game, but what he brings that those, but what Mims and Perriman really don't bring is that speed with the ball in their hands. Perriman and Mims have long speed. Uh, both those guys ran sub four fours, but, they're not really guys who you can throw a slant to, throw a screen to, and they'll take off down the field with it. It seems like Smith does have that potential. So uh, especially with continuity being so important this season, if practice time is really limited, him having experience in the offense, being the only outside receiver who actually played for them last season that's on the roster right now, uh, other than Josh Bell. Or actually, Josh Bell may got put on PUP as well as Quincy Nunwa, so you don't even have them. So Vincent Smith being the only outside receiver play for them last season, it's definitely going to give him a leg up, especially in this offseason with practice time potentially limited. So, but his ability at the ball in his hands is something that they don't really that Perriman and we'll see with Mims because you know he can develop, but it doesn't seem like that's what those two guys are going to offer right now. But uh, definitely, and also running back not having too much explosiveness, big play speed there. Uh, Vincent Smith could really fill that role. So I'm glad you shout him out as well because you know the continuity of last year speed with the ball in his hands two things that could give him a leg up this year oh yeah big play bench baby he's ready to take on that role and uh you know hopefully hopefully he makes the roster hopefully he gets some opportunities and hopefully uh he continues to grow with this jets offense i think that for today in terms of what we covered i think we went over a bunch we did the news schedule the draft some dark horses um for me i think that we're in a pretty good place with the new york jets to kind of close this thing out and I just want to say thank you to Michael Nania for coming on this podcast and want to recommend everybody all of his work, the Cool Your Jets podcast, his work at Jets Insider, his new premium content site, Jets X Factor, and, of course, anything that he does on Gang Green Nation. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks a lot for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have you on again soon, and I'll be, uh, I'll be back in a few weeks to talk more New York Jets. I'm Dan Burnham with Michael Nania. And this is The Jet Life.